Hey, welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. What a show today. So we spent a whole hour in the second hour of the show talking with Liz Collin. She is the producer behind a documentary called The Fall of Minneapolis. And it's all about George Floyd and Derek Chauvin. She actually talks to Derek Chauvin, first interview. She talks to Alex King in prison. Uh, unbelievable documentary. Uh, relatively short, concise, crisp, clear. It goes right to it. It goes boom. We start right from the body camera footage. Uh, unbelievable lies we were told the entire time. And I'm still so angry that some of this stuff was not allowed to be in court. Like the, the training manual that shows how you are supposed to put your knee on the person's neck. And by the way, uh, Derek Chauvin didn't put his knee on George Floyd's neck. It was on his back. But the fact that that wasn't allowed to be put in the, in, in, as evidence in court is, is so horrific. Because I always think like if I'm falsely accused of something, okay, it stinks. We'll go to judge. We'll go to court. We'll present the evidence, and uh, you know, jury appears, et cetera. But it's like, oh well, no, you can't. Pr- you can't submit that evidence. <laughs> it's like, what? What do you mean I can't submit the evidence that proves I'm innocent? No, 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 you can't do that. Crazy. We spent an hour with Liz, and honestly, only. Uh, I mean, I, I could. We definitely do another hour. I think would be would be better. Uh, but alas, that was the second hour of the show. You can check that out. Become a subscriber on SiriusXM. But just watch the documentary, a fall, The Fall of Minneapolis. It's free. Go to Alpha News uh, on Twitter, alphanews.com, thefallofminneapolis.com. Just Google The Fall of Minneapolis and you can watch it. It's great. So that was at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock, we talked with Chip Roy, Congressman, and Senator Mike Lee. So we'll start off with Chip Roy. More about the NDAA, this uh, big defense bill. And then one aspect of the defense bill is the FISA courts. Which whenever I hear about FISA courts in Section 702, I'm like, what? I don't know. I don't, I don't have time to figure this out. So that's why we had the senator on to, to really give us the, the details of it. And it's very clear and easy to understand once, once, he, uh, once you do and, and very bad, too. Um, so let's start off with uh, Congressman Chip Roy from Texas. Chip Roy represents uh, just north of San Antonio. Congressman, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Really good. Uh, do you know that your Wikipedia page has a picture of you without your goatee? Well, that seems to be a, uh, a fail. Uh, somebody ought to do something about that. Anything that will cover up my face as much as possible is, I think, an advantage. <laughs> it, I've never seen a goatee congressman makes such a drastic difference in the way someone looks i thought it was the wrong person i thought it was like the last congressman or something so I'm, that's really I'm, funny yeah i'm pro goatee uh, how do you what like what is this goatee a new thing must be it was a product of COVID, so i'd never okay. i'd never had any kind of uh beard or facial hair and then uh you know as we did during COVID, i was working out we have 10 acres i was working out on my property for couple of months while I was doing stuff, helping the constituents and restaurants that were shut down and all the garbage of the tyranny of the COVID mess. And, uh, but you know, we were kind of confined. So uh, I grew a beard and then uh, decided that covering my face was a net positive for all of humanity. <laughs> I don't know if you're taking votes, but I'm pro goatee, but the only vote that matters is the wife. How's the wife feel about it? She, she, she embraced it. I think it was a little, a little skeptical at first, but, okay. uh, but, but got on board and, uh, 
And uh, and so yeah, and now now it's a thing. And now my my political people are all like, dude, dude, you got to keep it. So oh I, yeah, I, no, I, it's I, like I, your brand. I, I promise not to be offended. You know. Okay. <laughs> well, you got to change that picture. That, that ain't gonna work. Um. So did you get uh, spend some nice time with Zelensky yesterday? You know, I did not. Uh, you know, he did not come to address the the entire conference. Um, you know, he, he visited with the speaker. Uh, the speaker might have had a few people there in the room. I'm, I haven't been fully briefed, but he um, he did not come to speak to us all. And uh, so Mike Mike visited with him. We saw the result. Uh, uh, I'll give Mike credit uh, for coming out and and saying, you know, uh, uh, obviously happy to visit with with um, with Zelensky, and uh, he's a head of state and. They're dealing with what they're dealing with, but uh, nothing's changed here. We've still got to deal with the American border. And so um, I give I give Mike a great deal of credit for coming, walking straight out and doing that. A lot of a lot of our, our leaders historically have not been willing to do that. If you saw Zelensky face to face and you shook his hand, what would you say to him? Um, I would say, you know, God, Godspeed, you know, keep fighting for your people and your country. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, push back, fight back, do what you need to do. Um, but you know, you guys have got to figure that out and, and, um, America wants to, to be able to support and help you. Um, but you know, we've given you $113 billion and we've got our own issues. We've got to deal with in this country and, um, and we're working on that. And, uh, you know, we're going to need to see more transparency. We've got to see what's going on with the dollars that are flowing into your country. Our job isn't to prop up your entire pensions, your entire government, um, you know, uh, maybe we can work on trying to get you some more lethal aid. We're working on that, but we got to secure our border and do stuff here at home first. It'd be something in that zip code. I think Congressman Crenshaw would say something different. <clears throat> I mean, I'll let I'll let Dan speak for it. I mean, look, at, look here's the thing: um, the, the the world has viewed this country, our country, as an ATM for too long. Um, I have I do believe it is in our national security interest to have relationships with countries support. Um, countries that are allies against the forces of evil. I do believe that is in our actual national security interest, but that that has to be checked. And in this town, the defense world, the people who profit from all of this, the people in power and the intel committees and the defense committees, they they're the ones who just look at you and say, "Well, we know, we know what's best," and they give you a little head pat. And if you dare stand up and say, "Wait a second, you know, our country, we Americans." We need to make sure that our country is safe and secure. And right now, our military isn't where it needs to be. Our um, ability to defend ourselves against multi-front wars is not where it needs to be. Our border is wide open. It is exposed to people being able to come in and harm us. It's not all, none of that is where it needs to be. And we need to check these guys and say, you don't get to just keep writing these big checks and grow the defense complex and continue to grow the intel world with respect to the FISA powers and, and surveillance powers. So our job is to check that. And so I, I make no apologies for trying to check that in the South. What is the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, that we hear all about? What is it? So every year, everything we do in government is supposed to be authorized. Now, we have ethically failed on multiple fronts. For example, the Department of Homeland Security has not fully been reauthorized since it was created 20 years ago. Um, the defense world, however, has typically, because it's defense, done its job and, and, and done the authorization every year. I think it's 62 straight years or something like that that we've done an authorization bill. Well, what that does is authorizes all of the things that are within the Defense Department and related measures. So we pass that every year. We passed a good one in July in the House of Representatives. It does all that it needs to do with respect to defense. 
It, um, but then importantly, it makes a whole lot of changes with respect to key issues that have been breaking down our military, breaking down our morale, lowering recruiting. By going in and, you know, for example, ending the abortion tourism, ending the transgender surgeries, eliminating chief diversity officers, eliminating critical race theory, eliminating diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, uh, ending the drag show nonsense, um, <laughs> ensuring that we've got our uh, military being able to be fully returned to uh, uh, status after having been fired for COVID uh, shots and so forth. Good to go down a laundry list of things. Unfortunately, in the negotiations with the Senate, most of that stuff was punted. A couple of things were retained. We've got to be fair. Uh, we got a couple of things out of that. But most of the stuff was punted. We think we should have held the line on that. But most important of all, we shouldn't have taken a bill like that. And then on top of it being watered down, added to it a so-called clean extension of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act 702 program that collects data, you know, electronic surveillance data, and throw that on top of it, which means it would extend it until April of 25. The defense and intel world, they always want to get what they want. That's what's happening right now. And on this, you know, I gave a lot of credit to Mike Johnson for holding the line and pushing back on Zelensky. On this, I just disagree with him. I would not do this. Um, I would just put a clean extension of FISA on the floor for a couple of weeks, force uh, judiciary and intel people in, in the House representatives and the Senate to get together and do a true reform bill. We've got a lot of agreement on that. We just need to force everybody into a room and sort it out. Um, that's how you get things done in this town. You don't, you don't govern by fear. Oh, my God, it's going to expire. You govern by saying, we're going to get this done. Here's how we're going to get it done and then make it happen. So we're going to talk with uh, Senator Lee in a moment about more details about FISA itself. So if yep. anyone's listening now and they're like, I don't know what FISA is, we'll get to that. But I want to talk to you about just like process. Why would we not? What's the argument for not having its own separate vote as opposed to putting it in the National Defense Authorization Act? The reason bills are combined in this town are to force them through um, on deadlines. So the National Defense Authorization, right, we're coming up here. It's going to be Christmas. Normally we get it done in the, in the calendar year. Occasionally it bleeds into January or February, but normally we get it done before Christmas. And um, then you add FISA to it, which expires on December 31st, although, as Mike Lee will tell the, the listeners, it doesn't actually expire. Okay. There, are, there are provisions that will continue where they can continue to engage in 702, uh, even in January, February, March um, after the year. So the point of it is, though, the reason they do this is very specific to get votes, to get it done, and to roll us if we disagree. Yeah. Um, frankly, they're pretty smug about it. Okay, they're pretty arrogant about it. By they, I mean the entire like defense intel community. They look out and they look across their nose. They say, "Well, we know best. We know the information that's out there. America would be in danger." Don't you understand? They go to the Wall Street Journal editorial board. And they tell them all sorts of parades of horribles of what might happen, and then they get the editorial board to write something. They go to some of our friends at National Review and other places, and they talk about all these things that must be in place. And in truth, they're using it as scare tactics, and they combine these bills in a package. They jam it through so that Republicans who like to have a checklist of things they can go campaign on can go say, I stood up for the defense. I stood up to make sure that we can protect the American homeland. When in truth, our civil liberties are now very much in question. The power of the government being used against the American people is concerning. Doesn't mean we can't reauthorize some of the, the FISA powers. We could. We just should reform them. 
Let me say one last thing. Yeah. I'd like to ask anybody listening to this, are you more concerned today, right now at this moment, about the federal government's power and the FBI showing up at your doorstep, like Mark Houck in Philadelphia, or like Scott Smith in Loudoun County getting put on a list? Are you more concerned about the power of what the government's doing versus what China or terrorists might do to you personally? You know, that's a question. Some people might give different answers. We're trying to reduce the size and scope of the power of the government being used against the American people and to force it to look outwardly to defend against our actual adversaries. All well said. Uh, Chip Roy on Twitter, uh, Rep. Chip Roy, and you can see this nice graphic that your team made, and you have the House GOP bill and all the things <laughs> the National Defense Authorization Act does. And then you have Schumer's bill in the Democratic Senate, and it does none of those things. And you're like, okay, we got to compromise, Congress. This how this how it works. You know what I mean? You got the Republicans, you got the Democrats. We come together. You get a little, you get a little of that. We got like none of it. Like you said, a couple things here and there. Like, okay, why? Like, like we don't. I don't think the American people like being uh, uh, suckers and losers. And it just feels like we keep losing. Like just just from a just a pure like leverage negotiating standpoint. Why do we lose all the time? And in this in particular. Well, we lose because we govern by fear. We govern by um, accepting that we, we have these tough odds. Like, you know how many times I'm, I'm, I'm texting with a, a, a colleague right now, literally, right, right before this radio show. I'll get back on. I'm sure there's more texts arguing about this. And this individual, in good faith, is saying, Chip, you don't understand. We don't have the Senate. I'm like, I know. But guess what? They don't have the House. Thank you. <laughs> and and th- that's supposed to matter, Right. But yes. we always start with it. It's almost like if, if the people who are in Congress today had been a part of um, going to Normandy, right, in D-Day, and they would have said, well, but Chip, that's, that's, a, that's a really tall cliff, and, you know, there's stormy seas. And, <laughs> and when you get to the top of the cliff, the, you know, they're going to be shooting at us. And, you know, then we've got to get from there and then go all the way to Berlin. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's every reason for why you can't do something instead of saying, look, We've got an obligation to go do this. I'm not saying you don't compromise. That chart you talk about. And I want to be fair. I always want to be honest, right? We put a little you know, mark on that chart that you just pulled up that next to DEI, right? We said, I think, weak. I think. I don't think we said yeah. no. I don't think That's we right. said yes. I think we said weak. It's because they did get a few things, right? I was just on a phone call a minute ago with someone from the, the speaker's office. And the speaker's a good man. He's got good people working for him. And that individual rattled off like, well, the word diversity was mentioned in last year's NDAA, like, I don't know, some number, 70 times. And it's only been mentioned, you know, I don't know, eight or 10 times in this one. Numbers may not be quite right, but something like that. Okay, that's that's all well and good. It matters how they're mentioned, where they're mentioned, what they're mentioned in. And you're not actually ending the programs when you simply say, oh, hiring freeze until blah, blah, blah. Right. We're trying to transform DOD. And our only point here is I know I can't get everything. Okay, we may not get both abortion, tourism, and transgender surgeries. Can we get one of them? Those are kind of the, 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 the big ones that people have been paying attention to. I know we can't get everything that we're going to want on every issue. But can we get you know, a true significant sea change where the, the, the Biden people come in and go, God, we got freaking worked on that one. You know? Yes. Yeah, that's, one time. That's yeah, the like, thing that I think the like once. Gosh, you're so, it's such a good point. All I hear about is we don't have the Senate. We don't have the Senate. It's like, well, yeah, guys, this Mayorkas vote is the same thing I heard. Well, what's the point? We don't have the Senate. Jeez. Um, are you going to vote, is it today, on Biden's impeachment inquiry? So so uh, I was uh, I serve on the Rules Committee. We had the 
um, uh, markup. That is, you know, we brought up the uh, impeachment inquiry matter in the committee yesterday, voted out of committee. We had a thorough debate. I I, I got into it quite a bit with some of our Democrat colleagues, Mm -hmm. making the case that I think is fairly clear for why we need an impeachment inquiry. We're bringing it to the floor today. Again, I'll give uh, Speaker Johnson a great deal of credit for proceeding and moving that forward. I hope they're going to get the votes. We have a couple of members who are being a little wobbly about it, and we have a very thin majority, as you know. So hopefully we'll get that down and across the, the finish line. I think if we get an inquiry, I think then the ability to impeach goes significantly up. And, and I want to be very clear. I don't seek to do that for political reasons. I seek to do that because I've seen rampant uh, corruption in the Biden family. The extent to which he, uh, his family at least, has, has been enriched, and by extension, it, it seems eminently clear the extent to which the president, while he was vice president, in between and then as president, has benefited from um, you know basically the influence peddling that we're seeing going on with Hunter. Um, there's more than rampant evidence um, uh, indicating those things, in addition to the obstruction of the Department of Justice um, not allowing us to talk to certain individuals, stonewalling our ability to get information out of certain individuals. Um, you know, the, the whole idea that you had this uh, U.S. attorney, Weiss, who basically did a sweetheart deal, and then a judge called him out, and then all of a sudden we see him get indicted. Uh, it makes you raises all sorts of red flags and questions. Of course, once he indicts him, he doesn't indict him um, on, on anything that touches Joe Biden, except that if those indictments end up being um, proven in court and, and he, he's found guilty, I think a lot of those roads will lead to the president. So bottom line of all that is I hope we will pass that impeachment inquiry today, but, but we'll see today on the floor. Of course, I will vote for that. How's Speaker Johnson doing in general? Well, I alluded to it before. Um, Mike is a good man and a friend. And he is, um, look, he has been on the job for about 45 days, right? It seems a lot longer than that. For him, I'm sure it seems like probably a year. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, I think there are a couple of things he's done exceptionally well. I think there's done a couple of things I would have done very differently, and I, I wish he had not done them that way. I would not have done a plain continuing resolution. I would have forced a spending fight that would have at least made some changes or gotten something for the deal. Um, you know, that was right out of the gate. You kind of give him a little bit of grace on that and, and just sort of say, all right, well, kind of, you know, mini, mini strike one, right? But then, but then you get to, um, to uh, the NDA and FISA, and, and I've already articulated here, Mike Lee will get into it. There's no world which I would have combined those two. You can't govern by fear. You can't govern by deadline. You know, put NDA aside, force some more changes on it, uh, force uh, judiciary and, and Intel to come up with a product, send FISA over to the Senate, force that fight. But, but now let me just say, you know, so far he's been holding the line on. We sent Israel over paid for. We haven't given in to send, go over and send a clean Israel funding bill or something that would, would continue to rack up debt without being responsible. And he's held the line um, in defending Israel. He's also stood up very strongly on fighting uh, and holding on this front on, on border security and not giving any more money to Ukraine on the border. Now, proof will be in the pudding when we deliver. But yesterday, he also said that he wanted to keep the spending levels around uh, 1590, which would represent a at least small cut, which is, 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 is pretty a miracle in D.C. Um, but that would also set us so we could actually go down and try to fight for some policy wins. I don't know if that will happen. But, he, but he's saying the right things on the spending front, the border front, Ukraine front. And um, I always believe in trying to be very um, objective and fair. And Mike's a friend, and you want to give people grace. But we've got to deliver. As like a floor speech I gave on the floor before Thanksgiving, you know, I don't, you know, name one thing. We've fully delivered for the American people. It's not enough to pass things on our side. We cannot capitulate to the Senate and the White House. So 
we've got to deliver if we want people to put us back in the majority next year. That's right. Congressman Chip Roy, just north of San Antonio, the handsomely goateed Chip Roy. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks for being on. God bless me. Have a wonderful day. Keep up the great work. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. We just talked with the congressman. Now let's go to the senator uh, from Utah, Mike Lee. Senator Lee, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your really show. Good, no, really good to talk to you. And thanks for taking the time and, and for educating me and, and all of us uh, about FISA. We've been hearing all about it. Breitbart.com is all about it. 702 FISA courts. Like, uh, what, what is all this stuff? So let's start from the beginning. What is uh, FISA? FISA is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. And Section 702 of FISA deals specifically with the interception of electronic communications all over the world. Now, as the name of the statute implies, this is supposed to be about collecting information on and from our foreign adversaries, uh, uh, spies, for example, in other countries who are you know, wanting to mess with the United States or might have information that we need to have access to. They're outside the United States. They're not our citizens. The Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to them. So we have different standards there. The problem comes in when they scoop up all these electronic communications. They listen in on phone calls, record them, put them in a database. They grab uh, electronic communications of different kinds, text messages, emails, and so forth, and they store them in this 702 database. Sometimes what we have, you know, rogue FBI agents who go in and just search for what information might be in there that contains communications from American citizens on U.S. soil whose communications have been incidentally collected in connection with these conversations involving foreign adversaries. And that's what we call a backdoor search. Hmm. One of the main positions we've been taking is that anytime they do a backdoor search, they should have to get a search warrant. Have to get a search warrant just like anybody here in the United States does. And the law enforcement agency has to do that. And the intelligence community agencies have been back aggressively on that. There are other reforms, but that's one of the more prominent reforms that we need. Because among other things, you can have what we call backdoor targeting uh, or reverse targeting, where they, you know, for all we know, uh, people in the FBI could be saying, all right. Uh, uh, American X, Y, or Z has contacts overseas. Let's figure out who he talks to overseas. Open a 702 uh, collection program on that uh, foreigner overseas. And then we can get American X, Y, or Z's communications. Mm. Uh, and understandably, uh, the government doesn't want to do this. But governments never want to comply with the Fourth Amendment or other restrictions like that if they don't have to. They think they don't have to the constitution says they do yeah it's so interesting that there's like this automatic deference that people give to the the government the intel agencies as opposed to the fourth amendment which is protecting the people you 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 sort of gave there a a, a hypothetical at the end can you give me another one or or maybe even a real life example of the abuse of this just so i can really put this in my brain properly sure we've got examples of government personnel with access to the 702 database, doing things like running a search on somebody 
who might be about to rent an apartment or a rental property they own. We've got another example of another guy. Oh, wait, that's a real thing? That, that's, wait, sorry, that's a real thing that happened? Yes, it's a real thing that happened. <laughs> uh, there's another guy who, uh, uh, working for the FBI, had access to the 702 database. He gets on the phone one day and talks to his mom. And while talking to his mom, he develops suspicions that his own father might be having an affair, cheating on his mom. So what does he do? Oh, of course, he queries the 702 database to see if he can figure out on his own whether his dad is having an affair. Uh, we've got uh, other examples where uh, backdoor searches, um, again, all without a warrant, have been done on at least uh, one sitting U.S. senator, on at least one sitting member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Wow. But we're, we're talking about literally millions. These are just a few anecdotal examples of backdoor searches being done on American citizens without a warrant. This is not acceptable. This is a clear violation of their Fourth Amendment rights, and it has to stop. Now, why would those people you mentioned, or uh, anyone listening now or me, why would we be in the 702 database? Well, uh, nobody really knows, first of all, whether they are, as to why anyone might be. It could be something as simple as uh, the fact that you've got friends, relatives, business associates, or any other acquaintance overseas who, unbeknownst to you, might be uh, uh, somebody who the NSA and the other intelligence community agencies happens to be interested in listening to, interested in following. Um, You know, people all over the world who may not even be bad people, or maybe they are, but the person of the United States talking to them doesn't necessarily know that. And that's part of what makes this so unfair. There are people out there, uh, you know, enemies of liberty, who are fond of saying, well, look, if you're not doing anything wrong, you've got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Look, in all generations of humanity, that sort of thing has been a lie. Um, but it's especially a lie. It's especially deceptive when you're dealing with a government that has literally uh, – hundreds of thousands of means by which you can be accused of wrongdoing on the books and this vast apparatus for surveillance. And uh, anytime you've got an enemy, even one enemy inside the government, if it's in the wrong part of the government, uh, that person can cause you a world of hurt, immense harm, if they've got unlimited resources with which to spy on you. That's a problem. So what reform, we're talking with Senator Mike Lee from Utah, what reform would you like to see as opposed to just taking it, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Senator, as it is, right? Is, it, is, it, is, is this extension of it keeping it the exact same way it is in the NDAA? Yes, keeps yeah. it exactly the same way it is, and it extends it until I believe the date is April 19th, 2024. It's part of what bothers me, though. It's deceptive because... If they can kick it out to April 19th, 2024, uh, under the uh, intelligence community agency's longstanding interpretation, they can actually extend that even if the statute expires on April 19th, 2024. 
if they take the right steps a few days before them, they can extend the effective operation of 702 collection out to April 2025, past the 2024 election cycle entirely, all the House elections, the Senate elections, the presidential election. They can extend it out that far. How do we know this? Well, among other things, there's a 2017 New York Times article that talks about the fact that the intelligence community believes that what matters is that as long as Section 702 is still in effect, still good law, as of the date that the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, or FISC as it's known, issues a certification, that certification can last 365 days forward, even if once that is issued, 702 lapses. Uh, that certification is in effect for an entire year. It's part of what makes this so devious. As to what reforms I want, there are a bunch of them. The most important one is one requiring categorically do a backdoor search on a U.S. citizen. You've got to get a warrant, a warrant backed by probable cause, with particularity, what they're going for and what the probable cause is based on. There are other reforms that need to be built into it, including uh, some more obscure things uh, re- regarding the amicus curiae or friend of the court uh, uh, procedures that ought to accompany the, the FISC, the, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Uh, there are a bunch of these that are, and also some provisions making clear what happens if you are an employee of the federal government who abuses these things. Um, you know, we've got elaborate procedures. Uh, in normal court, in non-secret court, uh, of what will happen if you collect evidence uh, beyond what the Fourth Amendment and the law happen to allow. Uh, That that results, of course, in the exclusion of evidence under the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine, uh, the evidentiary exclusionary rule. Uh, But there's nothing like that in the FISC because the FISC is a secret court. We've got beefed up procedures to dictate what must happen to somebody who does this. I've proposed those in a, in a bill called the, uh, 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 called the, the, the Foreign uh, Intelligence Reform Act, and uh, we desperately need the, the Foreign Surveillance uh, Reform Act. And there was another bill uh, adopted last week by the House Judiciary Committee that contains a lot of the same provisions that's in my bill, and I wholeheartedly support that one, too, because it's, it's essentially the same set of reforms. That's what we need to have happen. Instead, they've extended this to 2024, or told us it goes to 2024. It probably goes to 2025. Yeah, That's wrong. No, First, we airdrop that into the Defense Authorization Act at the last minute. That The, the reforms you said seem very sensible, and that nothing there seems dramatic, extreme in any way. Who? What is the argument for being against what you just said? Well, of course, the arguments go something like this, and I've seen this for the last 13 years, basically the entirety of the time I've been in the Senate. Every time somebody wants to reform 702 uh, or anything like it, uh, the argument comes up, oh, gosh, you can't do that. If you do that, it'll be Armageddon. I mean, uh, the stars will fall from the sky. Uh, You're going to have terrorists just ruling America, basically. And this is going to be unbelievably damaging. People will die everywhere. They, they literally say this stuff. And, and they think this all hinges on somebody having to get a warrant. 
Need I remind them that there are murderers, rapists, kidnappers, even terrorists in the United States, all of whom have to be treated with the uh, procedures that go along with the Fourth Amendment, and we are not dead. Mm. And we're not talking here about having to make them comply with the Fourth Amendment every single time they intercept the communications of a foreigner, of a foreign adversary. We're just saying that if you're going to do a backdoor search on an American citizen, that triggers the Fourth Amendment. You got to get a warrant, God, and then so have basic. got a bunch of backup procedures to make sure they have to follow that. That is not unreasonable. No, their position is untenable. Yeah, Senator, that's so reasonable. So, the FISA court was created in 1978. Do you believe it was created with malicious intent, or is this just another example of government pushing the limits and always wanting to grow and infringe on your civil liberties? You know, honestly, I I do not believe it was created with malicious intent. I believe that it was adopted. Uh, as part of a raft of reforms that came about as a result of the Frank Church Committee, which was assigned to look into the use of government uh, intelligence-gathering agencies to engage in political and other kinds of unlawful espionage. And so they set up the House and Senate uh, Intelligence Oversight Committees. They also set up um, uh, things like the FISC, in order to have some insight into this. But over time, the intelligence community agencies have figured out a way to game the system, including and especially to game the system of these intelligence oversight committees in Congress, which, Mm -hmm. as best I can tell, have become sort of the accomplices, the acolytes, uh, the enablers of the intelligence oversight committee, uh, of the intelligence uh, agencies themselves. in in helping them uh, defend exactly what it is that they're doing rather than to push back on them and expose them when they're doing wrong. We were just talking to Congressman Chip Roy, and he said someone was saying, hey, but uh, but Congressman, but Chip, we don't have have the Senate, right? We can't do this because we don't have the Senate. Why did the Democrats in the Senate (laughs) always get their way? And I guess my question is, what is your advice to the Republicans in the House? Uh, okay. Now, do you do you mean with respect to FISA specifically, or are you talking more broadly? I guess it's more NDAA in general, but FISA being a part of that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a great point uh, Chip's making, because Democrats did get their way on a whole bunch of stuff in the NDAA, separate and apart from the FISA issue. Um, look, um, sometimes it has to do with who's willing to endure more pain. Sometimes it has to do with um, which chamber is willing to throw its weight around to the point of saying, I'm happy to take this bill down. I'm happy to let this bill remain unpassed unless or until you agree to X. You know, we achieved victory X in our chamber of Congress. And if you're willing to go along with what we added to our version of it, it's been great. And if you're not, go fly a kite. Sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes that's what we're lacking. And I, I would love to see us do that. I'd love to see the Chamber of Congress that Republicans control, the House of Representatives, stand up for itself aggressively to the point of saying, if Bill A, B, or C doesn't pass because you don't include victory X, Y, or Z, fly a kite. 
uh, we're taking our GI Joes and going home. (laughs) Uh, Senator, what is the firm? The firm, the firm is the entity, uh, the uh, uh, messed up, uh, longstanding, rolling entity that currently consists of the law firm of Schumer, McConnell, Johnson, and Jeffries. Now, as I pointed out recently in a post on X, uh, I'm reluctant to include Johnson in the firm yet. He's a named partner, to be sure, uh, but he's only been in the firm for a short period of time. They're not yet sure, nobody's yet sure, whether he will operate as members of the firm have in the past. But this is, of course, the top Republican and the top Democrat from the House and the Senate, is four-person named law firm. The firm operates in sort of a mind-hive way. The firm operates to the detriment of the American people, but always for the benefit of the firm. Everything the firm does makes the firm more powerful and correspondingly makes the people's other elected representatives in the House and in the Senate less powerful and weaker. So the, the firm stands up for itself, looks out for itself, looks out for the power and the glory of big government and steps on literally everyone else in the process. And I despise the firm, as you might be able to tell. <laughs> so the firm is not necessarily just the government. It's even more specific to the, these, four, these four, we'll call them, at the top. It's for yeah. their best interest. Yes, exactly. What's in the best interest for Schumer, McConnell, Johnson, and Jeffries, with a big uh, asterisk next sure. to Johnson, because he's only uh, been speaker for a few weeks, and we don't yet know whether he will prove to be the one breakaway member of the firm, the one who doesn't join the firm or engage in the firm's antics. Uh, human nature, Senator. You know? It's unbelievable. And it's it's, it's, it's tragic. It's, it's always been the same. <laughs> it's, it's tragic is the right word. Oh, amazing. Have you spent any time with uh, Speaker Johnson? I have, and I, I genuinely love the guy. I, I, I think he's a terrific human being, mm. and I think his, his, his uh, instincts as a lawmaker – have been good. They've been conservative. They've been on the side of protecting uh, the, the dignity of the human being, which is to say he's a fan of liberty. Uh, and that's that's what we need. What we don't yet know is exactly how, whether, when, to what extent, in what way, and on whose behalf he'll throw his weight and his influential power around. I look forward to further analyzing and thinking about the firm and thinking about D.C. in that in that way and making sense of D.C. in that way, I suppose, is the way to do it. Uh, Senator, what's your middle name from? Uh, my middle name is Shumway, and uh, it, it, its origin, uh, it, it comes from the man who, uh, the only father my dad ever knew, my dad's biological father was, was murdered, uh, just a few months before he was born. My grandmother remarried when my dad was about three years old. They're a wonderful human being named Wilford Shumway. My dad called him dad. I called him granddad, uh, and uh, he's a, a wonderful person. That is a beautiful story. I had no idea what the story was going to be. <laughs> uh, I'm glad <laughs> I asked. Mike Shumway Lee, uh, senator from uh, Utah. Senator, uh, keep up the wonderful work. We're counting on you, and uh, we're grateful. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. Yes, sir. Have a wonderful day. I'm American made. I got American parts. 
for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Uh, I think we have Alex tomorrow. Is Alex tomorrow or Friday? Uh, yeah, I think we have Alex tomorrow. And then uh, Marsha Blackburn, Senator Blackburn will be here at 740. Tomorrow, Alex at 7. Marsha Blackburn, 740. And then uh, Dr. Sebastian Gorka every Thursday at 8 o'clock. Tomorrow's no different. We'll see you then. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Oh,